After finding the remains of 215 children at the former Kamloops Indian Residential School, Touchline Thoughts would like to take a few minutes to acknowledge the land we are on. We pass on our deepest respect and love for the lost children and their families, as well as the Indigenous, First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people, who through our history of Canada have undeservingly lost their land and lost their voice in our country. As we record this podcast, guests and ourselves reside in three major cities in Ontario. We acknowledge each one now. We would like to acknowledge the land on which we gather and in which the region of Peel operates as part of the treaty lands and territory of the Mississaugas of Credit. For thousands of years, Indigenous peoples inhabited and cared for this land. In particular, we acknowledge the territory of the Anishinaabek, Huron-Wendat, Hudunishini and Ojibwe Chippewa peoples, the land that is home to the Métis, and most recently, the territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, who are direct descendants of the Mississaugas of the Credit. We are grateful to have the opportunity to work on this land, and by doing so, give our respect to the First Nation inhabitants. We acknowledge the land on which the city of Toronto resides as the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now the home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 and the Mississaugas of the Credit. In Ottawa, we acknowledge that we are standing on unceded Algonquin Anishinaabek territory, they are the past and present caretakers of the waterway and land that we call Ottawa. We are grateful to have the opportunity to be present on this territory. Now, over to your Touchline Thoughts episode. Welcome back to episode 31 of Touchline Thoughts, powered by the Garage Door Sports Network. I'm Irfan Manji. And back with us once again, Paige. We missed you last week. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, sorry I missed the last episode. I was in transit back to Canada, so <laughs> we we're bringing her home so she can do it at the same time. <laughs> right. So we're not we're not trying to figure out the time change and things like that. But yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? Good. How's your quarantine going? It's all right. You know, just uh, lonely isolation <laughs> over here. But no, at it's the been... end of it, are we going to see you running down the street? Just going, sure. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> You can't contain you can't contain me. <laughs> no, no. It it'll be okay. It'll fly by. It's only 2 weeks, so, you know. No, yeah, for sure. Cool. So, for episode 31, we will be covering the Euros. Boop, 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 um with two very special guests who we will introduce right after this. Joining us for the first time on the show, but not the first time with Touchline Thoughts, we have Kyle and George. Thank you guys so much for being here. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Thank you for having us back. We are very excited to be back on Touchline Thoughts. It was a, it was a for sure yes when they're like, you want to come on? We're like, yeah, cancel everything. <laughs> yeah, we had a great time. You guys were on our, our live for the uh, Champions League final. So that was super fun. Yeah, yeah we loved your insight. That's why we had to draft you again, just saying. <laughs> three agents are back (laughs) first round pick you guys were our first round pick so yeah great to hear 
But are you guys excited? Let's get into it. Let's get right into it. We have a lot to talk about. So today's Starting 11 is brought to us by Shenzi Shack. Don't forget to give the Shack and Chef Sab a follow on Instagram as we bring you cuisines from around the world. They deliver and are available for pickup in the Vancouver area. So the Euro start on Friday. Why don't we just get right into it? Talk about each group for a couple of minutes. What we're looking for. What sort of matchups? Um, the matchups or the records going into the the finals, and obviously, COVID being a factor. We'll see how that goes. So why don't we start right in Group A, and we're gonna go with the Italians, Italy. So, George, get us started. Well, Italy are actually one of two perfect teams that made a run in the qualifiers. I think it was Italy and Belgium. And they're actually currently on a 27-game unbeaten run. Last time they lost was in 2018, September. Um, they have an experienced manager. I'm actually really excited about Italy. I think they're the so-called underdogs, even though they're not really a small team. But I think that they have a mix of youth and experienced players um, with Roberto Mancini, who is an experienced manager. Um, I think a key player I would look out for is Manuel Lacatelli. He's uh, a so-called young Pirlo led Syria in passes. Um, I think that their group is favorable and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they made it all the way to the final. That good, eh? Are they ready? I, I don't know. I think so. Cause, cause they have the experience and they have the youth. And I think for teams in major tournaments, you need that right balance, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen teams that, you know, enter really young and they didn't get the job done or they have a really like old and they can't, you know, run across the pitch or they don't have the stamina. Right. Is this Italy team better than the ones in the past are they faster are they smarter like what how do we compare it to let's say the 2006 world cup champs or the teams that have made it deep in the past uh euro finals is this team better uh in your opinion or are we looking at a different generation i think it's a different generation i wouldn't i wouldn't um i wouldn't think it's fair to compare them to the italy of 2006 because you know that italy team had <laughs> a lot of legends um, but it's a different side. It's a more quick side. You know, it's not uh, like it, it's a good balance. I think the Italy of 2006 had a lot of experienced players. And uh, I think this is going to be a little bit different. Cool. Well, why don't we move over to another team in the group? Uh, Switzerland, the neutral side, the one that everybody loves. You can't not like Switzerland. For somehow, they're always somewhere in the conversation, whether it's in the World Cup or the Nations League or in the Euro, they find a way to make themselves known. Um, Kyle, what are we looking for for Sweden, uh, for Switzerland? Sorry. Yeah. So as you guys mentioned about Switzerland, they really usually are quite fan favorite. They're um, always such a tough competition. And I mean, they have some quality players right now. I think they're three key players I would mention. It would be Granit Xhaka, who might have a tough time at Arsenal, but for uh, Switzerland, he's been phenomenal. Uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, he's always there. I feel like his name is always mentioned um, for Switzerland, and he's a great, great player. I mean, he does very well for Switzerland every time, every tournament, really. Uh, and then an exciting player is uh, Mbolo. And I feel like the way that Switzerland play uh, with Granit Xhaka, um, he creates a lot of space for Mbolo. Mbolo is a very quick player. So, I mean, he's going to be a tough one to deal with. And just one interesting thing that I've noticed about Switzerland is they kind of play with the two formations where they're able to switch back and forth depending on uh, the way that the game's going. If they need to hold back, they'll go defensive with five defenders and they'll hold it and they're a tough, tough team to break down. 
if they get that lead. And if they need to, to go forward, then they kind of move to more of a, a three, four, two, one role. And, and then they get their players forward and they attack. And they're always a strong team in mm-hmm. Euro Cups, World Cups. They're exciting to watch every time. I mean, they're quick, right? So does this two formation sort of make sense as to why they only have three strikers or three attackers and everyone else is basically a midfielder or a defender? Like we know that they play very good defense, but sometimes it gets overlooked when they have a pairing of Shar and Akanji, but those two are phenomenal players in their respective leaves. Um, they're going to be a headache. No, like they're going to piss some teams off. And I like saying that word, but they're going to piss some teams <laughs> off. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're definitely going to be very annoying. Um, when they are able to get that transition forward. I mean, their midfielders are very strong. They even have uh, Sefrovic, um, not pronouncing that right, but he creates so much space for, for Mbolo and, and attacking players. He's, he's like you said, he, he's going to piss them off, other teams off for sure. <laughs> are you concerned that their highest goal scorer coming into the qualifying round only had three goals? Um, it is a little concerning for them. I feel like that's kind of why they need to get men forward because they don't really have a designated goal scorer. So I feel like when they are down or they want to get that lead, just more men is probably the better idea uh, when you don't have any sort of designated striker who's your top goal scorer. So it is a little concerning for Switzerland, but on the defense, I don't think they have too much to worry about. And if they get men forward, you know, you get one one lucky chance and then your defense holds it off and you win, you know, defense wins championships right so yeah. yeah that's if they can focus on that get one goal they'll be all right they'll be very yeah. tough competition I, I always think about that switzerland uh spain matchup from a couple of years back where i don't think spain were like we'll give you the ball for 80 percent of the match but they really didn't do much with it because switzerland were smart and i think yeah. that's something that's underestimated by by the swiss side yeah. um we'll take on the turks and that will be me um to be honest with you, I was going through this lineup and I was like, okay, so who do I recognize? First of all, because a lot of players have sort of transitioned out. And I, you know, you think about right. the Tunchais and, and um, the Aubaks of the world, but now you're, you're looking at a very young sort of balanced side. And I think the best player in this team is the Leicester city defender in Soyenshu. I think he's an MVP. Like uh, a lot of people are saying, he's the guy to look at. He's the guy for you, but something about this Turkish side going into the the years this year is they were seven two and one in qualifying that is absolutely ridiculous for a side that usually is at 500 um when they're usually playing and their coach is this hard-nosed guy that doesn't put up with crap and i think it's sort of emanated through the lineup and they understand that they might not be the best team sort of to, to beat all the big sides and they found a way to collectively um win their games and and for some reason you know they they're another side that has a heavy amount of defenders and midfielders. So we'll see how that transition and transitions into goal scoring goals might be an issue, but. So what do you think the key is for this team to, to beat the bigger sides in their group? Cause I mean, they're coming up against not major heavy hitters, but I mean, Italy's a good team. Uh, we just talked about Switzerland's going to be a great team as well. So what do you think Turkey has to do to be competitive? Uh, one thing, and that is make sure that, if you're going to give up the game against Italy, because I think they're far superior than you, you got to squeak points out of Wales and Switzerland. I think their goals should be, we need to win or at least get points out of those two games. And I think we'll be okay. Um, I think that Italy game is just play your best defensive side. Um, right. Make sure you're not giving away any space. It's like uh, the example of Iran in the world cup a few years back where they knew they were outmatched every match, but 
they were able to play a concise defensive game against the big sides. And then the, the other team that was sort of trying to get points, they were fighting them really well. So I think the biggest key for Turkey is to try and aim for those Swiss games and the Wales game, um, which is match round two and three for them. So they have Italy, right. they'll get at it, they'll get it out in Rome. I feel like they'll they'll struggle in Rome because it's Italy's home ground. Home ground, yep. Um, but going to Baku for the next two games, I think they'll be fine. Um, and they're probably one of uh one of the sides that will probably finish second or third um and get to the next round from there. And we'll go right over to Wales page. What are we looking for 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 Wales? Yeah, so I mean, this squad didn't make the 2018 World Cup, which I think was a little bit disappointing for them. Um, they made a coaching change for the tournament, so Giggs will not be um, in charge, although the rest of his staff will be there. Um, I think it'll be interesting because a lot of these players play in the Premier League, right? So they're competing in that top league already. I think players to look out for are going to be Bale. I think their front three is going to be super dynamic. I think that'll be kind of the most exciting um, part of this squad. Um, you have Aaron Ramsey, who's been playing well at Juve, um, Joe Allen. So I think they're going to put more up top, probably as they're maybe they're central in their top three, throw Bale on the side. So um, for them, I think their offense is going to be something to watch out for. I mean, you, so the squad, the age range of the squad is around 20 to 29. So they're not super young and they're not super old. They can kind of hang in there and compete. Um, I don't know if you guys watched them play against France last week. They had like a friendly, one of their international friendly matches was France. And unfortunately they went down to 10 men uh, because three of a handball. Right? Yeah. Three, nothing. But you know, before that they were rather competitive in France, I think is one of the the top teams in this, in the world right now. So I wouldn't rule them out. I think they're going to be kind of just a hardworking club or a hardworking team. Cause all these club, club players are coming from the Premier League, which is just kind of a minus, you know, a couple from Juve and stuff like that, but majority are coming from the Premier League. So I think it, it's going to be interesting. I think the coaching change is also going to be rather interesting to see what they do with that. Uh, how much of that impacts Wales when not having your first time manager there, the one that like implemented his strategy, implemented the, the mindset for championship matches? Um, is it going to affect them in any way? Or do you think this squad will be able to get through it? I think it's going to be, I mean, whenever you change a coach, it affects you, you know, and they all come in with a different philosophy. Although the rest of the staff, they made it a point to say that the rest of the staff are staying like it, it's just gigs who change, but the rest are staying. And I think gigs is such an iconic player for Wales and an iconic coach. Right. So I think it does impact them, but if the principles are the same and the, um, uh, structure is the same the coaching style might be a little bit different but I think they'll adjust well to this and like I said if if everything what gigs has put in place because he's kind of built this squad up a little bit I think they'll be fine mm-hmm. all right let's move over to group b we'll start with Belgium Kyle why don't you start us off there <clears throat> yeah so Belgium I feel like are another bit of a fan favorite they always have a lot of talented players on their team that kind of attract neutral fans and even just fans of other teams to them because in the club level most of these players do very very well um like for example Kevin De Bruyne and Romelu Lukaku both very talented players Kevin De Bruyne is going to be a key player in that midfield he's always a presence on the field uh he dictates the midfield he distributes the ball very very well and Lukaku's been in fine scoring form uh, lately this season so um and he was actually their leading goal scorer in the qualifier as well so 
De Bruyne and Lukaku link up is going to be a fantastic one for Belgium. It's going to be very difficult for other teams to deal with. And um, the only one thing I had is I know that uh, Roberto Martinez is a great manager, great coach. He did very well in the club level. Uh, I did read something that he backed up Hazard recently. Um, and I know that's a bit questionable just because Hazard's been away from injury for most of the season. Are they, do they going to still rely on him? Is he going to perform? That's the kind of the questionable area, or should they kind of look at something uh, replacing him just to be on the safer side? It's something that's going to be exciting to see what Roberto uh, Martinez does. Um, but they, I mean, Belgium are always a tough team. They've got an experienced back line between Courtois, Alderweireld, and Vertonghen. Uh, great defenders. Uh, I mean, and then in the 2018 World Cup, they finished third, right? So they're a strong, strong team. And not to mention, they were the other second team to go completely undefeated, 10 wins, zero draws, zero losses in the qualifiers. So they're quite the competition, and I see them going quite far this year. Um, yeah. The talent is definitely there. I think the biggest question, like you mentioned, is the injury woes for a lot of their star players. Are they healthy? Are they ready to go? But I think having a group where you're not going to be challenged as much, might be able to give us an indication if this club can get through. Yeah, absolutely. And then I can focus on things in the later rounds, round of 16, sort of feel it out in the group stages, yeah. comfortably get through, and then focus on uh, more uh, depth in later on. Sure. Really quickly before we move on, I know I we all saw De Bruyne get injured in, in that match where he basically broke his face. They're predicting maybe he misses the first game. Do you think that will play a huge role in um, the momentum like going forward for them in this tournament? Yeah, and as I mentioned, I think that they're going to uh, focus more on just getting through the group stage with De Bruyne, maybe resting him a little bit, because once uh, comes the group, or sorry, the round of 16, they're going to want him on. I mean, right. as I mentioned, he's going to be a key player at some point in this tournament. So uh, resting him for a few games, some certain games coming up, um, I think their first game is against Russia. Yeah. Might rest him there, might not. Um, but they definitely, as you mentioned, with the favorable group, they have opportunity to let him stay until yes. the round 16 yeah. and utilize him later. I'm curious, like if you're Roberto Martinez, do you start Hazard? Do you, do you think he warrants a start? No. That's, that's, that's the no. question. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, I, I personally don't think they should start Hazard, but um, when I read that Roberto Martinez is still backing Hazard, I mean, I feel like he might start him and that might be a big issue for Belgium um, looking into it, right? I mean, there's no... Like all three of us said, or all four of us, sorry, said we wouldn't start Hazard. And then if Roberto Martinez does, that's a questionable area. That's a questionable tactic. And we can definitely look at that if it does hurt them in the long run. Because it's well, not I mean, just he's... this season, right? It's like mm -hmm. Hazard hasn't played in, I think, two seasons. Like he's played seven right. or eight games. Yeah, or... yeah, it's been a while. And so... that's really difficult when you haven't played a full season to now be jumping into these international games and, and the games are so tight together. You, you risk injury, you risk, you know, these kind of things just outside of your, your own playing abilities. So. Yeah. Talk about going from zero to 100, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. We'll see if he plays as captain or not. I mean, they have a bunch of other leaders that can step in and this team yeah. is embarrassment of riches of their talent. Uh, Denmark, George, what are we looking for? Are we still staring at Christian Eriksen or is there someone else that uh, catches your eye there? I think, I think Denmark actually have some quality players and it's kind of like when you actually look at their squad, you're like, wait, like I know a lot of these players. And I think if I told you beforehand, you probably wouldn't believe me that Denmark actually went undefeated in qualifiers. They finished second, but they went undefeated. They had wow. big, four wins and four ties. 
six goals against in eight games. So I think I think that's pretty impressive. Um, you have players like Braithwaite. I know he's not your classic number nine for Barcelona, but he's still a pretty good player with loads of experience. Christian uh, Eriksen, Emil Hoiberg, uh, Christensen who plays on Chelsea, Paulson, like they they have they have some good players on there that play on the international level. I think that they are going to challenge Belgium. I think they can push Belgium. I think Belgium is a favorite for the group, but don't don't uh, don't uh, underestimate the Danish and Schmeichel, and they have Schmeichel and Schmeichel. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm Schmeichel. interested. Yeah, because like you said, um, you know, at first you're like, who plays for Denmark? And then yeah. when you start listing off names, it's like, okay, I know this player, I know this player, I know this player. So. Um, it's it's interesting when you get into it and you're like, oh wow, they play for Denmark. I had no idea. <laughs> and, and I feel like they have like good selection all across, you know, the, the squad. Like it's not like oh, we just have a few attackers and hopefully they'll carry us through. Like you also even got Delaney. I think he's he's in Dortmund, right? So like he's a he's a quality player, good in the middle. If they can if they can continue their form in the qualification, which hopefully they will. I think it'll be exciting. I think they can challenge. Maybe second place. Is second place favorable? Maybe Russia will take it. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. They're super gritty. That's that's what it is. Um, yeah, they're a gritty side. They're going to have to fight through it. Who, okay, so who do we have next? Should we go uh, Finland? I'll take it. Go for it. All right, so... Yeah, so um, this team didn't, I was talking to you guys before, this team didn't win a single game in 2016. Um, They did make a coaching change, and it's a former central defender that played for Finland, so I think he has a little bit of experience. Um, I think their key player, we all know him, um, Puki plays for Norwich. I think he's going to be super important in the offense. But he's also coming back from an injury as well. He had an ankle injury. So when I was reading some articles about it, they're saying he might be their greatest strength, but he also might be their greatest weakness because if he's not there to to pop goals away and he's not at his 100%, they don't really have anybody else supporting coming through. I think other key players is uh, going to be their goalkeeper, um, Hradecki. And then I think they're two central defenders. They might go a 4-3-3 and they might go a 3-5-2. Um, we've seen them play both formations before. So I think whoever they put as their central defensive pairing is going to be super important. Cause like I said before, they don't really have too much offense in terms of like true nines who can put goals away. So um, I'm interested. I don't think we can count them out either. I think they're like a Poland or, or maybe a Russia or somebody where they, they might surprise us and they might pull something out just based on, you know, having healthy players and, and maybe not being affected by COVID as much. So I'm, I'm interested to see them play. And um, I used to play with some girls from Finland and, and just having them talk about, you know, the national team sides and stuff like that. I'm, I'm really interested now to, to watch them play and, and hopefully do well in this tournament. Is, are we, what Timo Puki are we going to see? I think that's the biggest question. Is it going to be the Norwich Timo Puki at the end of the season where he couldn't score before they were, when they were getting relegated a couple years back, or is it right. going to be the guy in qualifying that has 10 goals? for? Them? I, I think it depends. Cause like I said, he's, he's coming off an ankle injury as well. So does that kind of play into your mind? And, and now you're thinking, Oh, I'm not a hundred percent. I'm not, you know, I'm going to get still give it my best, but I'm, am I that 
Norwich Pookie, or like you said, am I that <laughs> qualifying Pookie? So I, I don't know who we're going to see. And, and like I was saying before, I think it's their strength, but it's also their weakness. It's, it's going to just depend who shows up that day. Well, Pookie, I think had 26 goals in the championship. And then that was this past season, which, you know, I know it's still a championship. It's not, you know, division one in England, right. but that's still pretty impressive. And then Norwich side wasn't too bad. Like I was kind of disappointed when they got relegated because they really weren't like yeah. awful, you know? So we'll see, we'll see what he, he does. And, and like I said, I think he's going to be the biggest key player for them. Of course. Uh, we'll move over to the Russians to try and wrap up this group as fast as we can. But Russia actually has been on fire since the 2018 world cup, making the quarters going eight Oh and two in the qualifying they've, been able to score goals they have 33 goals for eight against like they haven't been a poor side um these guys i think might be one of the darlings of the the tournament um if they can get past the fact that they didn't win a year they have never they have five euro final games and they haven't won any of them but if we put those on the side um they've they have enough to actually win um they have Golovin from a couple of years back. That was an absolute stud, which caused them to move around and get big name transfers out of there. This Russian side understands what it takes. They might not have the big players, but they're super good. Um, biggest concern though for Russia is they didn't call enough defenders for this tournament. So I don't know how they're going to approach it, but they're probably going a little bit more attacking. We're going to see a lot of wingback play and, and a lot of transition play, but you know what? It doesn't matter if your team's able to score. So we'll see how they do it. And when you're playing a, a finish side, that if you can shut down Timu Puki, for example, or Belgium's not healthy, look out for game one because I think the Russians are going to bring it to Belgium and do not be surprised if Russia wins that like 2-1 or something. Do you, sure. have Russia, do you have Russia over Denmark on that group? I do. I do. I think Russia finishes second with like six points and um, maybe that loss comes to Belgium with a healthy Belgium or whatnot. But no, I think they finished ahead of the Danes and the Danes are scrappy, but uh, I, have a, I have a fear that they don't score an open play enough to to really bother anyone so if you can get christian erickson over the over the ball like a dead dead piece i would say by all means i think the danes have it but russia has been so good in open play the last couple of years and that's something to watch out for they had quite the interesting run in 2018 too where uh, a lot of people were surprised uh about how far they went right so mm-hmm. it was quite the run that they had last time or last week for sure yeah. uh group c we'll start with austria um george you start us again let's go um austria i think were really disappointing in the last uh euro cup i think they finished bottom of their group and they always have like they're actually a pretty good team but it feels like they just can't get it together for some reason like if i'm looking at this squad you know they have i think their captain is david alaba who has loads of experience but the key player for me to watch out and i don't know if you guys can help me pronounce this is kalajic think he plays in the Bundesliga he has the most headed goals in Europe's top five leagues yeah I read that I was like wow like that that's that's including Spain that's impressive Spain. that is impressive and and we can't uh, even say his name properly I, 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 I was waiting for Irfan to come in and say oh <laughs> no no I think you were you were spot no I think on you got it you got yeah. it but um I don't know I think it's I think it's a fa- like it's you know Netherlands are favorite in that group you have North Mass, they came in, this is their first, I think, major tournament in Ukraine. So it's going to be difficult for them. But um, I think that the, the players that they have and the team that they have is, is pretty good. But just their last few international friendlies haven't been 
you know, according to plan, you can say, but then there's a lot of people who say international friendlies don't really count. So I, I don't know, like, I think it's a good, uh, let's say, uh, like, um, rehearsal for the major tournament. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think they, ha they haven't been winning as, mu as many of their last few games. So that's kind of worrying for me. But uh, they do have the players that can, can do something. So Their coach has the best winning percentage of any Austrian coach um, in history. But they do play tedious football, which I think a lot of people are also agreeing with. Like, it's just yeah. a lot of extra work that they don't need to make, especially when you can put David Alaba not as a defender, but he can play a wing role. Um, they have yeah. so many players that can play multiple positions. Um, definitely a darling of this tournament as well. I mean, if they can figure it out and and get some goals. Do you, hey. think, do you think Alba should play in the middle? I think he should be a holding midfielder. Go back to that role that um, Pep had him and, and Philip Lahm sort of interchangeably mm -hmm. play, something we see with uh, Joshua Kimmich. Mm -hmm. I, I think he needs to play in that midfield just to take away the gaps because we don't know what we're going to get from that defense. Um, obviously, they're big and they're, they can win aerial battles, but I think you need someone in the midfield that's mobile. Yeah, and I think, I think a positive thing for Austria too is that they have most of their players coming from the Bundesliga. And I think that when you see a lot of the players come from one competition, it's usually favorable, even from a few teams. Like when Spain won the World Cup, half their players were from Barca and Madrid. Barcelona, yeah. Yeah, right? So it, it, that helps. And when Germany won, a lot of their players were from Bayern. So I think the fact that, you know, they, you have a lot of players playing together at club level, I think that can help in terms of chemistry. But as you said, they do play tedious football. And unfortunately for Austria, I don't think they're going to be doing as well as they're expected to do bold statement but I yeah we'll see <laughs> well no you know what they're 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 one of those teams in europe that you have so much promise for because of the talent that they they have and then they get to a tournament or like lead up to a tournament and, and they fall flat and you and you kind of wonder what's wrong is it the system is it the players like what what is austria doing not to be good because i think mm. they have one of the best players in the world in their squad yeah and it's the, I think it's like you said, it's the expectation, right? Because we look at, I think I was going to say with Finland, with Paige, they, they don't really have much expectation. So maybe right. they can play with a little bit less pressure. As to Austria, everyone's like, oh, you have a good, you have some good players. Like you should be doing something. Like, why are you not, why are yeah. you not showing up? Yeah. 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 Let's sure. go over to the Dutch side, Frank de Boer's side. What do we make of Netherlands? The Orange Army, they've had a nightmare in the last like two or three days. Or this squad looks totally different from qualifying squads, but we'll put it that way. So we know Van Dyke, one of their major key players, is out, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a sad moment for all of us. Um, Van de Beek just pulled himself out, so they're going in with a 25-man squad. Not that Van de Beek is a huge player. You know, we've seen him, you know, not get the playing time at United uh, this whole season. So, but I think he's an important player in his role. So it's disappointing he'll be out. Um, DeLitt is also potentially out with an injury. He was seen out of training recently as well. So, you know, those are some key players they're missing and it, it's going to be interesting. I could see them maybe going with three central defenders at the back just to kind of solidify the back uh, a little more because they're missing Van Dyke. I think um, some key players, De Jong obviously is a huge player for them. Memphis Depay, I think is going to be a huge player for them as well. So I, this squad was my, one of my top picks coming out of qualifying. Now, I don't know because they have so many 
you know, will they play? Will they not play? This player's kind of injured. You know, mm-hmm. it's a new coach as well. So yeah. it's going to be, for me, it's going to be really interesting to watch them play and, and just see how they line up. You know, if they're going to mm-hmm. throw three at the back, if they're going to throw four at the back, just to maybe get some offense going. Yeah, no, completely agree. And the guys that are left right now have been, you know, stringed players that start on your bench for their actual club. So we don't right. know if they're a hundred percent. I'm looking at Nathan Ake being that big guy who, eight minutes at Bournemouth right. hasn't done anything for city. Is he going to be ready to go? Is he going to be fast enough? He's going to pull up with an injury. So a lot of question marks and to go back to your Donny van de Beek question, I think he probably plays better for the Dutch national team than he's played for. Sure. for. And yeah. because he gets to play in that role, that number 10 role, that false nine role well, that he's so active in that I think he would have succeeded at the tournament, but losing well, and United means. United bought a player they didn't need right so he's not getting the playing time there which is is unfortunate where you know in like you said in the national team like he has done much better he has been more successful there so <sighs> sorry kid <laughs> sorry they also have, they have diverge I think he plays for Inter Milan at the back mm-hmm. and he did really well yeah. this season so but well that's like... what I mean like do you do you throw three defenders in now because you're missing your your key defensive, you know, captain of the squad, like a yeah. huge role. So how do you I mean, solidify that defense now? Oh, it's it's yeah. going to be tough, right? With Del- is Delict out for sure? Or is he like, no, he, it's a potential. They, they haven't like, I've been trying to find more information about it. And they basically said he just has been outside of training. So do y'all trust Frank DeBoer? Am I the only one that just looks at him? And goes, yeah, you no. don't like him. No. <laughs> I, no. I think I think that I think in the qualifying. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think didn't uh, Coleman have a little bit part in that qualifying, right? He was manager for a, a good portion of that. And yeah. I remember that you know for the Liverpool boys, Vinaldum and Van Dyke, they used to love him. They used to like cherish going to play for him. They enjoyed like I guess he was like respected the players and the players respected him. So I think that mutual respect really helped the fluidity and how they play. So I don't know, like uh, you said, I don't know if DeBoer has the same impact no. that team. Yeah, No, he should have stayed at Ajax and developed there instead of moving around. Because I think Ooh. he's still for like he's still he's still very young as a manager, even with all the experience that he has. Absolutely. Uh, let's move to North Macedonia. The One side of the more I'll... tougher teams in this uh, in this in, uh, tournament for going sure. All the way for me. they're the dark horse (laughs) well i mean let me ask you this they have one player on their team can you guys name them that everyone sort of knows but forets i feel like without googling it without googling it yeah yeah on my ipad gorn pandev plays for north mass no way yeah right yes he does he's been in the syria for 20 years the guy is 37 years old he is by far their mvp their leader and the heart and soul of that team um if you're looking at a player um to sign for the future elijif elmas had four goals in qualifying a hell of a talent um but not much to say about this squad they they're a little bit weak on the defensive end I don't have much going for them, but you know, when you're a darling of the tournament, and I'm going to say this for them as well, I think for them, the, the thing is just try and play well, try and play well to the point where your country can see that you're, that you've made the effort to get there. They got through the playoffs against Kosova and Georgia, um, Georgia. And, and so like they've been in adversity. 
So we'll see how they can play. They play Austria, who we don't know what we're going to get much out of. So maybe push them to the brink. But their biggest test comes against the Dutch in the final game of the series. Um, do they, you know, do they go out defensive? Maybe. But if Goran Pandev scores one goal for Mass, I, I think I'd be very happy if I was North Macedonia. And I so think, if you're, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was gonna say I think that they actually played Germany this this uh, year in qualification World Cup qualification. They actually beat Germany. Yeah. So and that's on an international friendly. And I think you said uh, it was Pandev who scored and Ilmas, the two players that you you pointed out. Which you know, beating a club a, a team like Germany that that's a big statement. So the talent is there. Yeah. One thing that's underrated for the mass side is the fact that their set pieces are actually pretty decent. Enes um, Birdie is known as their set piece specialist, somebody that um, I've seen a few highlights of. The guy's good over a dead ball, sort of like a Christian Eriksen over there. The ball can really get something out of it. Um, you know what? They have the potential to surprise in a tournament of three games. I don't think they're they're going to be able to do that, unfortunately, but. Um, I'll be cheering for them just because I like underdogs and, and, and it's fun to watch them play. You think for, for the coach, um, the, the goal for this tournament is not necessarily to win, but just to show well, to, to inspire your country a little bit. I think so. I think what you need is some sort of positive. So like, yeah, you lose a game one nil, but you lost one nil and not five nil. So right. I think you take that massive positive from that. And the fact that you, George mentioned, they beat Germany this year. That's a huge win already. That's a huge win. And obviously, you know, when you talk about Germany, they've, they're going through a transition and I think we'll get yeah. to that there, but um, beating them when they're trying to figure out their identity, I think it, it helps. Cause it's like, well, we can do that. What happens in five years? Yeah. I think, uh, I think the, like if, if Macedonia can, can scrape third, like that's a really good achievement. Like, right. Yeah, that's, I think that'd be really positive for them. But that does cause them to try and beat Austria and Ukraine. <laughs> and so why don't we get right into Ukraine there? Um, you were excited for this one, Kyle. Yes, I'm very excited to talk about Ukraine, um, mainly because I saw a little bit about them or saw a little bit about the, uh, saw them play in qualifiers. Um, they didn't lose in qualifiers. They won six, drew two. Uh, one of those draws came against Portugal. And uh, I watched them play against Portugal, and this team was just very, very well organized. I believe this team's going to be very exciting to watch. They're going to go out there, going to be quite the competition. Might fly under the radar because no one really thinks Ukraine too much, but under, I know you told me not to mention Shevchenko, but I have to mention him. <laughs> mention him, mention him. <laughs> in, Ukraine has been super well organized. I mean, not losing a game in the qualifiers for Ukraine is unbelievable for them yeah, that's huge. amazing and Shevchenko Ukrainian legend he knows what he's doing at least it looks like he knows what he's doing and I mean and if they need an extra striker he just cops he'll just put himself <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. probably <laughs> rostered himself so yeah, yeah. he'll throw on an old-fashioned Shevchenko yeah. jersey and just yeah and um, one of the key players for them uh especially in qualifiers was um Melanovsky who is uh plays for Atalanta he currently is kind of the heart of Ukraine. I've read that mentioned as well uh, several times. He's been a heart, uh, like an, our main artery for them. Uh, it goes through him. He distributes the ball very, very well. And this team's very exciting. Um, they're going to be, they're going to come out very well organized and they're just going to be very fun to watch. And uh, as I mentioned, they even have Zinchenko from Manchester City, who, you know, is a great defender. The fans of City love him. Ukrainians are going to love him and he's not going to, you know, he's going to be a beast uh, as he does it for city. So he's going to be 
he's going to be a key player for them as well. And it's just, I'm very excited to watch this team. I really am, especially not seeing the way that they played against Portugal and, and the qualifiers. They're going to come out very, very hot. Does Zinchenko play in his natural role of attacking midfielder and not on the left side of defense? Because I think that's the reason why he's been the MVP for them for quite some time is the ability to, he's so smart on the ball when he's in an attacking position. Like if you see him running down the flanks for City in the attacking half, he's just like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Let me do it. Um, so how much how much of a factor does that play with him getting to play in his natural role? Oh, I think that's a, a massive factor for the reason why he's been so well for Ukraine. And I mean, you put him in his natural role and he already just knows what to do. I feel like Simchenko, or sorry, Shevchenko can just be like, listen, you know what you're doing. Just play your game. And he can do that. And as you mentioned, he gets down the wing and he knows what he's doing going forward. So him alone um, is a crucial role to the team. And as I mentioned, this team's super well organized. You have an organized team around someone who's very comfortable in his natural position. They're going to be hard to deal with. And the qualifiers proved that. And I, I see it happening throughout the group stage as well. For sure. Let's, let's hop over to Group D. And I'm going to stick with you, Kyle. Let's start with Scotland. Scotland. All right. Sorry. Um, Scotland. Yes. Yeah, so they had a bit of a rough uh, qualifiers. Um, one, uh, one five, no draws, lost five. And then they had to go to playoffs where they played Israel and Serbia. Um, one thing that I did read up on that I meant or that I would like to mention is that um, Steve Clark put Scott McTominay in a defensive role. And there was one game where he was questioning that. And apparently all the players said, no, no, keep that. Keep me here. Scott McTominay said, yeah, I'm comfortable staying in this role. And it fit in very well for them. And it's going to be interesting having a player like Scott McTominay in the back three that they've been playing. And that's going to be, it could be a little bit risky, but if he's sort of gotten comfortable in that role, it could be very beneficial to him because McTominay can be a tough player. He's strong. He gets into defensive roles uh, pretty well. He can uh, lose some form and make some mistakes sometimes. However, if he falls into that role well, as he did for them, you know, it could be very beneficial for them as well. Plus, one of the key players they have is Andy Robertson. I love him. He's one of my favorite players. Exactly. All, heart. All heart. All heart. Literally. He is up and down the field all game. He is one of the hardest working players you will see all tournament. Yeah. Absolutely. And he's a major, going to be a major player for them. As you mentioned, so hard working and getting down. He's kind of like Zenchenko in the sense where once he gets into that attacking area, he knows what to do. He knows how to get that ball across. He knows how to get down the wing and then if worse comes to worse he knows how to get back and he's super good defensively as well and on the ball he's a, very smart with it off the ball makes some great runs um this team will be pretty exciting to watch are they going to be competitive i think that they have the potential to be they they're going to need to be organized they're going to need to play with a lot of heart and uh robertson might lead that sort of passion in them and inspire the rest of them so they could be quite the interesting team to watch um, uh, in, when it comes to the group stages. And if they get past, they could still be a problem for other teams to deal with. Sure. One country that has one of the two best left backs in the game, Kieran Tierney, also comes to mind, who's a hardworking, hard-nosed defender. Uh, they're lucky to have those two guys. I wonder how they'll play uh, together. So let's move on to England. Paige? Oh my God. This, this, needs, this needs a whole podcast on it. Yeah, it needs a whole segment in <laughs> itself. 
So, I mean, we saw some disaster in the selection process to begin with. I mean, Trent Alexander-Arnold is now out with injury. I am dreading this defensive line. You have Stones. Maguire is still kind of iffy, but Stones, dear Lord. Pickford's not at all reliable in that. That's going to be a disaster. Um, you know, do you, do you, again, with them, do you potentially go three at the back? Walker, Stones, and Mings, maybe? I think some key players will be Mason Mount, Phil Foden. We've talked about them before on the show as well. They've had, you know, great seasons. You've got Kane up top. You've got potentially Rashford up there as well. So, you know, they've got depth. Like they do have a lot of depth, but I think they picked a lot of very similar profile players. And that doesn't leave a lot of room for creativity and, I think difference making when you have a lot of very similar profiled players. So I'm really interesting how really interested to see how they will line up, who's healthy, who's going to make a difference in this squad, because I think our defense is going to be a nightmare. I also like, I remember when the selection uh, came out, I think, well, Trent was in the selection to begin with. They chose four right backs. Yeah. Five midfielders. So you have four in one position, five in the total midfielders. Well, that's what Um, I'm saying. Like, you've got all these players with the exact same profile. Like, what do you, you don't, you you want to sub players in to make differences. You don't want to sub the, like, like for like all the time, you know? So. Well, don't you know? Southgate wants just the right side to yeah, be good. Just, the rest just, of it's open. I don't know if you've seen the visual where it's um it's Pickford, yeah, it's and it's all like of them on this side. it's Walker, Trippier, Arnold, uh, Reese, and then you have like Foden, and you're like, yeah, wait, what happened to the left side? Anyway, sorry, Paige, I cut you off. There. No, I mean we could all talk about this team like for hours because Love it's it. just it's wild, and I they have a lot of talent in the squad. They really do. I mean we've seen. A lot of these players come off really good seasons. So, you know, Mason Mount has had a great season. I think Phil Foden's had a pretty good season. His hair is ridiculous right now. I don't know if you guys saw his hair. (laughs) Oh my God. He looks ridiculous. So, um, I mean, we got Grealish in there as well. Who's he's had a decent season. So we'll, we'll, we're going to have to see how it goes. I think the problem with England, and I hope you guys can attest to this is the fact that all English players have great seasons leading up to a big tournament. And, and then, then they, they joke and they <laughs> fall is, flat. That's is it. this is this England team different because Southgate has like implemented a philosophy, a different culture in England that you know that wasn't there in the past with the golden generation. Is sure. this England team, is it gonna be this is our year, or is this just gonna be this is our year and we're gonna fail? How many years have they said this is our year? Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, so it's coming home, we're bringing it home. <laughs> They did. They did all right in the World Cup. They went. They went to the semi. They should have beat Croatia. They, have, yeah. they had a direct path to the final. Like, yeah. wasn't, wasn't that World Cup the first time they ever won on penalties? Probably since Beckham Probably. skyrocket. Probably <laughs> a huge deal when they won on penalties. Everyone was like, England won on penalties. This is the wow. year. That's a this win. Is, <laughs> that, that was a massive win. You know, that's how you know England are becoming something better than what they used to be. See, I think if you're trying to change the philosophy, I get it. But are you willing to sacrifice Grillish and Foden in attacking roles and put them into the midfield? I don't know. And you're looking at Jordan Henderson, who's trying to be your pivot. He's not healthy. Well, he's not. Yeah, he's not healthy either. So, so. I'm surprised Prowess didn't make this lineup. Um, Prowse, amazing. Yeah, I'm okay. surprised he didn't bring it because they need somebody in that midfield other than Declan Rice to try and get you going. Yeah, I, I think isn't isn't Declan Rice? I think that's their that's their go to holding. Like, I don't think there's anyone who can really do the, the job like Declan Rice. 
Uh, Hendo can because he's done it before for Liverpool. Not effectively, but he can do it. I mean, James Milner should have been called up. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> James Milner can play anywhere. You want yeah, to just put him on the field there. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it was Roy Keane that said Henderson was selfish for going because he's not fit. He's but, not fit. Well, I mean, uh, Southgate's yeah, decision Keane, to make that call. Yeah, yeah, whatever. that's on Southgate. But Roy Keane, if you if you want an honest opinion about anything, you listen to Roy Keane. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes it's too much to the point yeah. where, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, I but I I get a good laugh out of it most of the time, especially when he's ripping on United because you know you can't be like this, and you're like, shut yeah. up, no, you can't. We know this. Stop. <laughs> um, as I botch my Irish accent. Um, yeah. and with that, let's move on <laughs> to Croatia, the team that beat England in the World Cup they're a little bit older a little bit slower but does that impact them at all George that was literally what I was gonna say just a little bit older this time you know um the first game is a semi-final rematch I think right against yes it is and the the point that you said is that they're getting a little bit older and I don't want to upset any Croatian fans out there but I just don't have the feeling that they're gonna do that good this year I, I think it's it's the years. I think it's the expectation. Um, but again, they do have really good stars. You have Modric. You have I don't I don't know if, was Rakitic called up. I think so, right? No, he's not. Is he in the nope. squad? He's nope. not. In the not squad. that I can Rakitic. see it. Oh, wow. They have Brozovic. They have Perisic. They Rebic. Like the, the 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 players go on. But for me, I just don't. I think they're all really up there in the years. There's no one young and exciting. I don't think there's a lot of pace in that in that uh, team, um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I don't. I just don't see Croatia doing very well this year. And I know that it's a bold statement, but it's just even in their their last few games, they looked really slow. They looked really tired, um, and and I just don't see them, you know, playing as well as they did in previous mm-hmm. tournaments. They're going to try and run the attack through Modric. And it's going to get stopped effectively by every team that comes up against them. Maybe not England, because we don't know who their midfield is. <laughs> <laughs> but if you can shut him down, I think you shut down the heartbeat, because there's no racket dish to build off of. I mean, I don't know if you trust COVID, uh, Mateo Kovacic, but... Um, I mean, Kovacic is a very volatile player. Like, he's really good, then he can be really bad. Like, I, I don't know if we, can, if we can trust him, but he does play with heart in the national team. Um, we, we see him do... do all right but yeah Rakitic is a big miss I don't is was he injured I don't like I think he's just like 34 or something and <laughs> he's just yeah <laughs> yeah he's just... kind of had a quiet year back in Spain I didn't really hear much about him when he was yeah. back but yeah, yeah. Um, I think I don't know are they gonna go with Lovren and Vita in the back again I'm not sure Lovren he's he's, in, he's playing in Russia he's not playing the Premier League level anymore is that gonna be an effect I don't know big we'll question see. marks we'll yeah see. but i'm gonna go i'm gonna i wouldn't be surprised if even if croatia finished third in the group but that's that's where i'm gonna i would go. like to see croatia do well because i mean yeah. they were kind of the people's champ you know like the you know in that world cup you were rooting for them even if you weren't rooting for them yeah, so yeah. i would like to see them do well but like you guys said they're getting a little older a little slower so get, get moderate run the midfield by himself I like don't he, think so. Especially not. I don't think he can like the way he did in 2018 World Cup. No. Right. I he think he pay. was in form then, and I think he's he's not out of form, but I think you know he's not, he's not as the, in form. He's not, he's the, not the same with Modric. Yeah. Yeah. No. The Czechs now. Um, another side. I don't think any of us should be sleeping on. Um, they finished five zero and three. Not bad, but another side that's really good on the set piece. 
they play this attacking style that you don't usually see from Eastern European sides where they're, they have the ability to f- just bombard you with wave after wave of attack. And I think that's the coaching style this year. Um, they're good in the air. They've got players. And I think this is the player to look out for Thomas Suchek, who had an unbelievable year for West Ham. Um, I don't think West Ham is where they are if Thomas Suchek isn't able to pull the strings. And yes, the, the credit goes to Jesse Lingard for being rejuvenated and Declan Rice and and the fact that Mikel Antonio finally scored more than three goals in the season, right? But, but the important part is you had a guy in Thomas Suchek that took away defenders, gave space to the other guys to yeah. be creative. Um, he could be another player um, that gets picked out from West Ham to maybe a Leicester or a Chelsea because that's a feeding ground for that. But this Czech side, don't fall asleep on them. I think they're going to push everyone to the brink. They might be able to beat England. I think that's how good their attacking, counterattacking is because I don't know how England can be in, good in possession. We don't know if they're in possession or they're trying to go um, counterattacking. But they, don't they fall asleep have, on them. They also have Koufball too, right, from West yes, Ham as do. well. Yeah. They have, yeah, a, they, have, they, have a, they have a very good side. Um, a lot of names, like I think we can say this for a lot of the Eastern European sides, you don't think are the Scandinavian countries. You don't think that these players play for big clubs and then you look at them and you're like, right, yes, you yeah. do. Um, <laughs> we just don't hear about because I automatically think you're either English, French, or, or German, right? <laughs> or Spanish. Yeah. Spanish. Yeah. It can um, only be those four countries. It can only be those four. Yeah. 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 That's all no other countries have good players. <laughs> <laughs> Which is completely false. I do not stand by that. (laughs) It's very false. Um, But another team that I think in terms of tournaments, they've always found a way to to show up. Um, Qualifying, maybe not so much, but in tournaments, they like this sort of energy and atmosphere. And I think you can go back to 10 years. uh, I think, I think besides England, it's, it's, it's favorable. Like they can, I think they can go head to head with Croatia. You know, they have an exciting team and even Scotland as well. So group E this group, news coming out of this group so far is two out of the four clubs have tested positive for COVID. Um, it might just be a scrappy group, but what does it mean for, we'll start with Sweden, but what does it mean for them to lose two players? Are they able to to come back? Are they going to replace those players? Do those players get the opportunity to come back when they're healthy? Let's start with that Swedish side. I mean, I was really hyped for Kulisevsky. I honestly, when I saw this guy play, I was just like, how old is he? And then, and you, you realize he's what, 17, 18 years old. That's, it's crazy. And he just, he just got hit by COVID. He was one of the players. Um, I think that's, that's a big blow for them. He's, he's, he's great on the wing. Um, but when I think he will, if they can get through the first couple of games, he'll hopefully be able to meet up with the rest of the team. Um, another blow for Sweden was Ibrahimovic. Now, I'm not saying that Ibra was going to, you know, lead the team, but he is, you know, when he came into the AC Milan side at such an old age, they're like, what are they going to do? And we saw a positive influence. We saw positive results. AC Milan are in the Champions League. That's, that's a big, you know, and I'm not saying that's all because of Ibra, but I think his leadership, I think his quality, uh, I think that's a big blow for Sweden. Um, but they also have uh, Alexander Isaac. He plays for Sociedad in La Liga, and I think he had 12 goals in 20 games. So a lot of exciting players. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to cope with the losses, but uh, they also have Lindelof, uh, Manchester United center back. Um, it doesn't. It <laughs> <laughs> a they also have Lindelof. Okay. <laughs> I, I I really want to know what that laugh is for because I'm a Liverpool fan, so I'm I'm ready to jump on it. <laughs> 
just laugh. It's fine. I'm mean, just laughing at the poor defense that we have. That's all I'm laughing at. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No. But you know what? They have they have experienced players playing in the top five leagues all around. Um, I think I'm really excited to see Isaac and see if he can step up. You know, especially in the first couple of games. No Ibra. No Kulusevski. You're the main guy. Can you take it? And and he he has shown like his goal to game ratio is pretty good. It's over 0.5. So for Sociedad last season. Um, it's and I think I think that there's no like besides Spain who I think are the favorites to win the group. I think everyone you know Slovakia and Poland as well. They they could you know challenge. They have they have a really good squad as well. Uh, so Sweden for them is just to 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 get the ball to Isaac to to for him to step up. He's a young player, 21 years old. I don't know if he can carry the country on his shoulders, <laughs> but it's going to be his responsibility. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, I think so. I think you wrapped that up really well. Let's go over to the Spanish side who also have been hit by the COVID bug to the point where they have created a extra squad of players to, to feed from. Um, what do you make of that, Kyle? Yeah, so uh, getting hit with COVID from a couple of their players uh, causes a lot of headaches right coming up to the tournament for them. But um, they have quite the talented squad right now under Luis Enrique. They're playing pretty well overall. I feel like they, uh, especially with any other sort of call-ups that they're bringing in, are, is going to be good enough to, to cover those areas. Um, it might be a little bit of a challenge at first because uh, I think it was Lorente and uh, who was the other player that caught COVID? It was Busquets, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Busquets is a pretty big blow. However, I think that uh, Rodri is going to be a good enough of a replacement. He's kind of slowly taken over that Busquets role uh, for Spain in the last few years. Um, it, he might not be quite as good, but at least he's getting there. And he's uh, pretty well trusted at Manchester City lately. So he's got experience there as well. Um, Just not in the it, final. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and I mean, Spain lately have kind of de- redeveloped their team because they weren't too good for a while. They're kind of slowly getting back into their whole possession. They're passing and they're moving off the ball like they used to be, like we used to know with uh um, back in two th- when they won three three major tournaments in a row, they're kind of slowly moving back towards that, which is why we saw them go undefeated in the qualifiers. Um, the major issue uh, factor here is those uh, COVID cases and how they're going to sort of replace those players. Um, and uh, they're going to have they have the talent to to call up other players to uh, recover for those areas. And um, I just know one thing about. David De Gea, I don't know how much they're going to trust him because he's kind of, when he hits form, he's a fantastic player, but when he's not, he makes some pretty big mistakes. Uh, I think it was in the last World Cup. I mean, he made some pretty big mistakes in the last World Cup. He didn't have Uh, a good tournament. Exactly. So are they going to go with him? Are they not? Because there are other options if they choose to bring up uh, Kepa. I mean, Kepa, we all know, has had some issues with coaches. There's no Kepa this year. Yeah, he's. I heard them talking uh, talking about bringing Kepa up, though. Oh, interesting. Oh, because of the COVID cases? Exactly. Yeah. So he's been mentioned. Oh my god! Listen, I rather take uh, slippery hands, David De Gea, than have Kepa. (laughs) Absolutely, I know, and that's why I was like, why would they even go with Kepa, right? But Mm -hmm. I mean, he's David De Gea is a little bit questionable. If they bring up Kepa for the COVID cases. Well, what are they going to do with it? Are they going to utilize him instead? But I think, of course, Spain, I mean, going undefeated in the qualifiers, they have the talent. They're bringing back the uh, Spain that we used to know. 
So they're going to be very tough competition, even with this COVID case. It might be a little bit of a rough start to the uh, tournament, but I think they'll find their way, as Spain usually do, and they know how to play the game. So uh, they're going to be a tough team to uh, play against. What do you make of them not taking Sergio Ramos? Yeah, that um, I was thinking about that before as well. And Sergio Ramos, I feel like they're miss because of them not choosing him they're missing that leadership from him i think that's the main thing from him they're they're missing because in terms of their back line i feel like they have it pretty well covered for the most part um he is getting up there in age but missing that leadership from him is massive because anytime you see real madrid play that back line is controlled by sergio ramos and he did the same thing with spain every single time he's there so not choosing him is a bit of a risk but i feel like um luis enrique his style of play is going to work without it and it might be a big factor in terms of that again like i said that leadership it could be a big factor but the talent is still there that they might not need him and i think luis enrique is taking a little bit of a risk but it could be a big reward for him so but he's also not fit right now either exactly so he withdrew from the team right he realized that he wasn't ready for it and mm. Uh, yeah, for me, I mean, he's not fit regardless. So even if you're pulling him in, it's it's almost a waste of a a roster spot at that point. I mean, yes and no because he brings leadership, but do you do you waste a roster spot on an injured player or do you bring in? Yeah, you do. England does that. What are you talking <laughs> well, about? Okay, you don't want to be England though. So. <laughs> Especially when your team gets hit with COVID like they did, then yeah. you know, like then right. you look to a leader. Or do you still think, okay, maybe we'll just play this more calculated? Uh, because when your big players go down as a team, that's really hard mentally to go yeah. up against. I mean, it's hard to recover from that. And a player, if you bring in a player like Sergio Ramos and his leadership, he may not be the most fit, but even just his leadership can bring that mentality back up when you lose big players due to COVID or other reasons. For sure. Yeah. Uh, how about the Slovaks, Paige? What are we looking at for Slovakia? Yeah, so they beat the Republic of Ireland in the semifinal shootouts to get them through um, their goal when I was reading up was to reach the Euro 2020. So for them, that's a huge accomplishment to begin with. Um, I mean, you've got Skirtle who's retired and I think that's like a big name for them um, and they'll be missing that de defensively. But um, I think, you know, they've talked about doing a 4-2-3-1 and having, you know, pace on the wing. Um, that being kind of their, their main focus, um, you know, positionally, uh, but in terms of players, I mean, you've got Bosnick up front, who's been, you know, he's young and exciting and, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I think they're going to have problems defensively. I didn't, I didn't know much about the Slovaks until I started, until I started, you know, reading up on them. And I mean, you've got Hamšík, who's, who's, like a super no. <laughs> I don't know a how Slovak old he god he's 33 yeah oh he's yeah. 33 so I mean he's still there but for that for me for that that's like a huge leadership role and I think they're going to look to him for that um especially in this tournament because like I said earlier their their goal was just to make it to the tournament so now that they're here it's okay now what do we do you know and let's not I, lose five no basically so yeah. I think you know Hamshik's going to be a big um key player like maybe the biggest key player um they also have that central defender who yeah, yeah who took over Skirtle's position so I think he's also going to be a very key player but the problem is they don't have a very dominant 
central defensive pairing. And I think yeah. that's super important. So, you know, you have one great central defender, but it doesn't work if you don't have another one. So I think that'll be kind of a hole or a pocket mm-hmm. that teams will look to expose for them. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to watch them play. I, I haven't seen a lot of their games. I, I don't know the ins and outs of the Slovak squad. So I'm very excited to watch them play as well. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's that central defensive pairing. Like, I think that's really important, really overlooked. And we've seen it through uh, so many different teams that some players just play so much better when they have a specific player beside yeah. them. Yeah. And I, you see it in the midfield too. If you don't have that relationship, it breaks down. And I think other teams pick up on that. You know, they know that they don't have that dynamic central defensive pairing. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they can adjust to that situation. Mm-hmm. Well, don't fall asleep on Vavro. The Lazio yeah. center back. He's had a good year for Lazio, but he's also played well with uh, Skrinar. So I think, I think we talk about defensive parents not being sure of something, but I think the coaching staff like these two together. Um, right. And I think there's communication. And and Paige, you're a defender, and I think you can you can attest to this. Mm-hmm. You got to be talking. You got to oh, be sure. talking. And I think these two have that chemistry. Um, will it hold up? We'll see. Um, they're in a fairly simple group in the sense that you don't know what you're going to get as Spain or Sweden with their health. So I think if they can capitalize on it early. For sure. And I think that's, you know, a huge plus for them right now is that the the heavy hitters in their group are kind of weak right now because of their COVID situation. So I hope that they look to take advantage of that and, you know, get some points where they can. Mm-hmm. Well, they paid the Polish side next. And I think <laughs> Poland comes out to 8-1-1. One, and one. They were absolutely great in qualifying. Levy had six goals. Um, but you know, Levy only has two European Euro championship goals in his career, which absolutely blew my mind when I read that stat. I was like, no, shouldn't you have like 25 or something? That's how good you are. Um, they have a different coach and, and Paulo Sosa. So we'll see how that sort of varied coaching experience comes into play for the Polish side, but they have good goalkeepers. They've got talent in different parts of the pitch. I think they're my dark horse and I'll put that out there right there. If they can find a way to supply the ball, to levy find a way to to not have them isolated against the bigger clubs i think poland could be the greece of 2004 um i think they have enough of that shock. i think That's they have a enough. big call i think they might have the, the biggest shock factor um with the best goal scorer in the world um but again poland hasn't been in major tournaments and hasn't been successful in major tournaments so we'll see if that sort of translates but a new coaching identity um milik has had a good year I mean, Leva should be the Bellon d'Or winner for the last three years. I think they should collectively just hand it to him. Um, so this is why they're my dark horse. And 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 do they fall flat? Maybe not. But if they can find a way to collectively play the way Greece played in 04, hey, you can beat a Portugal in the finals. Yeah. You think, sorry, um, buddy. Yeah, sorry, yeah, Kyle. As soon as you said Greece, Kyle's just like... It's- yeah. I, I felt it. Yeah, yeah. On the inside, I had to hold but it. full marks to that Greece side, though, like... Portugal was loaded, but full marks to Greece side for actually playing like a team and not just trying to funnel the pass through Figo or or Ronaldo, and it just fell flat for them on that one. Yeah, great unit. They were a great unit in that that championship. Giorgio Samaras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just, uh, but even even back to that Polish squad, you have uh, Leeds uh, holding mid click. Uh, he mm-hmm. did he did so good in the Premier League, and I really liked watching him play. Like uh, if they if they put him in the holding mid, I think he'll do really well. Well, and I think Leeds is a team, you know, you're talking about that Greece squad who just has to play as a team to do well. And I think Leeds kind of takes on that, that mentality too, is they play very well as a team. So if he can bring that to 
to this national team squad too and and be successful that way i think that will be super important that'll yeah. be a key for them that's 100% yeah. true yeah. susa super tactical so having bielsa as your coach coming from leeds i think that that mindset i think he's ready for it yeah yeah and that does it for group B. Let's talk about the group of death. Uh, where do we want to start? Should we start with Hungary and then get to the, the big houses after that? Sure. Let's start. Yeah. Let's start with the, the one saying the prayer. <laughs> All right. So, uh, dear Lord, we pray for Hungary today. Um, no, Budapest, like this 100% capacity. That's what they have going for them. <laughs> yeah, they've... True. They've got the support. And it, yeah. it, is this going to be the punching bag of the tournament, unfortunately? And I feel like they might be. And I feel so sad to say this, but. They, Marco Rossi, the Italian man leading the side, he has a 52% win record as manager of Hungary, so the best in their history. Uh, Willie Orban will be their best player, no doubt, but I would say keep an eye out on two of these players. Adam Nagy, I think he's going to be an important defensive player for uh, Hungary to make sure that nothing gets by him and to the defenders, uh, plays for Bristol City. And then Roland Salai, who's had a decent year for Freiburg. So, they have some players that have had good years going into the tournament, and I think that's super important. But, you know, they the, the question mark comes into, can they actually handle a powerhouse? Can they handle the big players? Are they going to get to that stage and get scared? Um, but in the playoff rounds, you know, they beat Bulgaria and they beat Iceland, an Iceland team that, you know, being, beat England a couple of years back. Like, this team is... Like Iceland was a very good team, a very good organized, a very well built, I would say. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if the Hungarians can do it. Um, highly doubted. I think they'll be the punching bag, but if they can come back with like a minus three goals and like a minus three plus or minus or whatever, I think I would take that as a win, but we'll when see. When they how. saw the, the draws for the groups, they were probably like, oh my. Oh, yeah. like you've got to be kidding well you know what realistically i think we don't know what we're getting out of germany i think someone will talk about that but i think they can steal points off of the germans and i think they can also steal points off of the portuguese if they take them lightly i think france is just going to walk over them but um other than that let's move on to the french uh page yeah i think i don't know if you guys watched any of the um their friendly matches. Like I said, I recently watched it against Wales and, and I was living in France. So we used to have their, their games on all the time. Um, I think it's been, there's been a lot of controversy around this team. I mean, with Benzema coming in now, Benzema's injured. Uh, he got injured yesterday, so it'll be interesting to see if he's going to be good to go. Nobody really has updated that. Um, you know, you've got Conte and Pogba, which are huge players as well. You know, we all love Conte. Everybody loves Conte. He's, you know, the people's champ. So oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> he's coming off of a really great season um, uh, with Chelsea. So that'll be interesting. I think they have a ton of depth in their squad. They basically have two, you know, world-class starting 11 sides. So um, I think they can deal with inju- injuries, no problem. Um, you know, Martial was left out of the squad. I think that's kind of an interesting point as, you know, United yeah. fans. And <laughs> I, I honestly think that Martial didn't deserve to be in that squad. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't disagree with you. I, I don't. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think they're um, they're kind of the favorites at this point to to have a really good run in the tournament. So it's going to be interesting to see with what they do with that. And if they, you know, like I said, I don't think injuries will be their problem because they have two starting 11 sides. So um, it's just going to be them getting points and winning games. And I mean, like one thing to mention, two finals in the last two major tournaments. Right. 
you know. They have players who know how to win championships, and I think that's going to carry them through this tournament for sure. Exactly. Just the, was, sorry. No, I was going to say, I was telling Kyle too, like uh, I think it was the other day, and I was saying that France is the only team that I saw when they were playing friendlies that they enjoyed playing together, if that makes sense. Like you could right. see that they were just having a good time on the field. Griezmann plays good for France, better than he does for his own club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, everybody together now. <laughs> um, but I honestly don't think if Benzema misses the tournament, I don't think that changes their chances. No, because <laughs> like we said, they've. this is the first time Benzema's been in the squad in like, what, five years or something like that. Yeah. Now he's injured. Oops. He missed a Oops. penalty. <laughs> oh, well, he missed the, if you watch the Wales ex- uh, friendly match, he missed the penalty for that. You know, like, yes, he's in form. Yes, he's a world-class striker. They also have more. So yeah. Yeah, faster players too. Like yeah. Mbappe, Mbappe's speed alone. Yeah, Mbappe's so going to be a key player for them. You know, Conte, Pogba, um, it's going to be Griezmann. It's, and, and I like how they play Griezmann in the uh, number 10 attacking midfielder because he's not yeah. like I like Griezmann playing behind the striker I think it suits him really well well he feeds well like he feeds the ball yeah. very well and I, I think it benefits any attacking player having him in that position just to distribute you know let's talk about one of their com- competitors Germany um the transition here Joachim Lowe's last major tournament Hansi Flick will come take over after this what do you make of the Germans, George? You know, I was, I'm, I'm going to do my predictions today for the Euro Cup, and ge- I'm a German fan, and I always have been. But it's kind of hard. I'm like, I, I, I know it's, it's not a team that's compared to the other teams that have been. However, he, he calls back Hummels, he calls back Kroos, calls back Muller. I think those are really good players. Or I think Kroos was actually already in the, the squad. I think it was Muller and Hummels. Um, I think that experience is going to be really interesting. I saw their last friendly with Latvia. They played a back three, which um, I think Love has been experimenting with because he doesn't usually do that in tournaments. But in the middle, you got Gundogan, you got Kroos, and you got Kimmich. Now that's a really solid midfield. And when I saw that, when I saw that midfield and Hummels in the back and Hummels' distribution from a center back's perspective is amazing. Gnabry up front. You have Sané, who probably would probably even be on the bench. Havertz, uh, Muller. I th- I think that. They are in a transition, but I, I can see them also going all the way without any bias. Mm-hmm. Without like, any bias, of course. Yeah, without <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. No okay, but they, they also... You're like, your starting was, this is my team. I've been supporting this team for <laughs> years, but bias. no bias. <laughs> but no bias, because... because Compare Germany, the players, yeah. Compare no, the yeah. players. I think they have enough talent going forward, and um, defensively, they're not as shaky as you would assume. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, and, I look at Matthias Ginter, who I'm a huge, huge fan of. Yeah. He's a hard-nosed defender. I think City really need to go get him. Pep, go get him, because then no one's going to go after Ruben Diaz next season. But um, back to your point, I think pound for pound, I think they can they can hit with the heavies. <laughs> the only question mark is, what Timo Werner are we looking at? Is this the Germany Timo Werner that can score in the German system really well, or the Chelsea man who can't score? I mean, he did against Latvia, all due respect to Latvia. He did score against Latvia, but he wasn't even starting. So I'm not sure if he isn't going to get a start. You know what I mean? You have, you have a lot of great players there. You know, he can easily put Muller as almost like a false nine, Gnabry and, and Havertz, even Sané. You know what I mean? There's so many options. And another player I want to touch on that's kind of uh, overlooked is Gosens. Really good. I saw him play against Latvia again. 
he does well in the Bundesliga, but this guy is just all, almost like he reminded me of almost like a Robertson. You know, he was just running back and forth down that left hand side. Mm-hmm. And I think I think Germany always had a problem with their fullbacks after Lom left. Like even the left back position. Think about how many left backs you know for Germany that actually was starting. You know, you you had Kimmich and Lom on the right side. Kimmich now is almost a mid right, uh, center midfielder. But now on the left side, they always kind of struggled. I think with that. I think they played Hovedes in the. Uh, in the when they won in 2014 and he wasn't really a left back mm, so they put center backs in that role yeah so i mean don't count off the germans i almost did but i still think that they have enough when i look <laughs> i still think no bias, no bias guys <laughs> but um i think if, if they don't go to the round of 16 it's a big disappointment it's a huge disappointment um but you know what i mean the the third place now can make it so it shouldn't be a problem for them fair Let's look at uh, the Portuguese side, the defending European champions, defending Nations League champions, if I'm not mistaken. Wait, we've, uh, we've got to put it out there. Kyle's car is, <laughs> he's got the flag. So no bias, Kyle, no bias. Okay, so no Kyle, here, here, here's what you have to do for us. Okay, you got to give us an objective point of view. I, <laughs> There's my <a> word. <laughs> <laughs> but no bias, no bias. Okay, no bias. So, so give us... Give us a, a perspective from an outsider um, and then give us a, subject, a subjective perspective with it. So give us two clear paths. Did we, did we show his car? Is that? Yeah, he did. Yeah, so I'll try to uh, eliminate the bias right away. But this, as in a neutral, this is a very exciting team to watch. We have... They have a lot of. Uh, <laughs> we, we have. have yeah. I never said that <laughs> was good. A lot of depth right now. In just about every single position, there's a, a second player who can play just as well as the starting eleven. Uh, the defensive line very strong. Uh, we have sorry Portugal. I keep saying that. I'm sorry. Portugal <laughs> has Pepe, who was a big factor for Porto. Um, I might be getting up there in age, but then there's Ruben Diaz, and then there's Jose Font. Uh, you know quality players uh, in the defensive uh, back line. You don't have to be salivating that much, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot, but the thing is about Portugal, there's a lot of youth, a lot of talent right now. So they're a very exciting team. And one thing to mention is Fernando Santos, ever since he came in for Portugal back in 2014, they, from 2014 till the World Cup in 2018, they didn't lose a single match until the World Cup when they lost to Uruguay. That was their first loss under uh, Fernando Santos. And out of the three possible trophies, because you said defending Nations League champion, but they're not anymore because I think the following year in 2020 or last year or 2019, the following year they didn't win, I think, or something along those lines, because they went to, out of the three possible tournaments, Fernando Santos won two of those, the Nations League, the Euro League, and then they went to the the, uh, World Cup. So. Yeah, so they're still winners. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, coming in as defending champions, and then Cristiano Ronaldo's always a player to to look at for any neutral fan. You know, he's a star. He's one of the best in the world. You put him on the team that has a lot of talent right now. They're going to be very exciting to watch. They're going to come out very exciting. Uh, they have a lot of youth, a lot of depth, as I mentioned. So got a strong strong team right now and that's just that's trying to be neutral you know right well Um, do you think you know coming to this tournament do you think Ronaldo runs the show or do you think you're going to see more of these youthful like stars start to to show up as well 
that's that's a major uh, aspect is that I think right now uh, Portugal don't necessarily need Ronaldo to shine. And that's one thing that I think Fernando Santos is focused on, making sure that it's not as it used to be run through Ronaldo to carry. I think that they have everything that they need to not even need Ronaldo on the pitch. So if anything, I mean, when they won against... Bold! Uh, That's a bold statement, Kyle. <laughs> it, well, when they won the tournament, I mean, won the Euro, Ronaldo went out injured early on. Right. And then everyone can say, I can say it myself, I feel like they started to play better once he was yeah, off. 100%. So I don't think they necessarily need Ronaldo. However, when you have a great team and then you add Ronaldo, it just makes it that much more exciting. <laughs> Right? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. I agree. If they run through Ronaldo, I think that's going to be a big mistake because Absolutely. it's exactly what you're going to see in the uh, 2016 final. Mm -hmm. um, but I have an interesting question for, you know, as a Portuguese fan, what would you like to see as your center back pairing? Like first game, what is Santos going to put as his two center backs? If he first plays? game, yeah, first game, I know we talked about this a little bit. Our first game is against Hungary. Um, I feel like he's probably going to go with Jose Font and Pepe in the back experienced they were both their last couple um major tournaments they were sort of our starting back line a lot of leadership between the two of them um they're both over 35 do you want to do that out of curiosity i mean you want some pace because hungary's going to try and run you absolutely and then but the thing is they were also there against hungary back in 2016 as well so they have experience against hungary as well um i think moving forward against germany and france ruben diaz has to be there uh, probably with Jose Font instead of Pepe, just because of Pepe's age. He's a little slower. And as you mentioned, with pace along, especially for France, France are kind of crazy. Yeah, so I see Pepe as the third center back in that team, even though like yeah. that's Pepe had a fantastic season with Porto, but you know, you need the youth. You like Font yeah. has been a great leader for Lille when they won the French league. Exactly. And I think especially against France, Jose Font uh, has played against a few of those French players in PSG. Uh, he knows how to deal with them at least. And then Ruben Diaz, who just won uh, Premier League player this season, he's he knows what he's doing back there as well. And he's quick, he's young. So back lines. Uh, and then Joao Cancelo on the wing too. I mean, <laughs> so he's, he's getting so excited. He's just like, yeah, so he's like a little kid on Christmas. <laughs> so I Googled Pepe now because I think he's a bit of a psychopath. But in the first, the, the first like Google search that comes up is how many red cards does Pepe have? <laughs> just about as much as Ramos, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. This is why they played together. It's the yeah. same mentality. Right, right. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's why they were so strong together. Yeah. And, and please mention Diago Jota. Come on. Like, yeah, Liverpool. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Are you salivating at that? <laughs> <laughs> Liver He's like Liverpool. It's not biased. It's not biased. This is completely biased. Diego, <laughs> captain of Portugal. Let's go. Yeah. Diego Jota, especially for Portugal, has scored a lot of goals uh, leading up to this competition. So uh, he was uh, scored three goals in three games uh, a while back, and all three of them were like headers. And he's a he's small not the guy tallest too. guy. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say. I mean, you have Ronaldo, but then this guy's scoring headers. So, right. <laughs> Diego Jota is gonna gonna be a key player for us at least. Okay, guys. So that wraps up our part one of our Euro uh, preview show. Um, we kind of went over uh, and reviewed some of the teams. Make sure you check out part two, which will be dropping tomorrow, where we give our predictions on our. Uh, favorites to win the tournament, our underdogs, and some key players to watch. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next match day. Cheers.